Welcome to season five of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, refreshing and captivating interviews with sports personalities and their connections to Chicago. From Mike Greenberg to Ryan Dempster, Dan McNeil to Sarah Kustak, they reveal entertaining, memorable, and emotional stories some you've never heard before. I'm your host, George Hoffman, and please follow or subscribe to Tell Me a Story I Don't Know on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is proudly sponsored by Vienna Beef, home of the Chicago hot dog and an institution since 1893. Find them at ViennaBeef.com. And by Dynamic Manufacturing, awarded the General Motors Supplier of the Year 23 times. They can be found at DynamicManufacturingInc.com. This week, we feature the popular radio voice of the New York Mets and a native Chicagoan, Wayne Randazzo. Chicago's home, and you know, mo my family pretty much is all still in Chicago. And it really touched me last year to do some of those Fox games, and they were all Cubs or White Sox games. And my family got to watch, and you know, they were able to see me work really for the, for the first time in a long time. Um, in a way that was really special. I mean, broadcasting the Cubs or broadcasting the White Sox was was incredible. It wasn't long ago, Wayne Randazzo was my teammate at WBBM News Radio, but he had a bigger fish to fry, calling Major League Baseball, and soon was joining the Mets broadcast booth. It also features a sports phone alum from New York, Gary Cohen. But before he got the Mets job, Wayne was working for the Kane County Cougars radio booth for three years. It was a harbinger of bigger things to come. It's been a meteoric rise for this native of St. Charles, Illinois. So Wayne Randazzo, tell me a story I don't know. <laughs> well, hello, George. Good to talk to you again. And, uh, you know, glad to hear your voice. You know, your, your voice was one I heard most of my life growing up listening to sports radio in Chicago and when you were on the score and then on the WBBM. So uh, you're, you're definitely someone that, that I looked up to as a, a, as a young broadcasting wannabe. Well, that's nice to know. And uh, I'm just curious now, a Chicagoan in New York, it's not really from one big city to another because New York's is vastly different from Chicago. So what are the differences and perhaps similarities you've noticed since you've moved east? Yeah, you know, it's a good that's a good question, because it, it I think Chicago is a good training ground for New York. It, it wasn't like going from, you know, Tupelo to New York, where I think you would have been overwhelmed. Um, I think going from Chicago to New York, you felt like it was just a, a, a Chicago times 10, maybe, um, you know, it, it was bigger. It was it was maybe a little bit bolder and uh, there were there were some some more places to go. You know, I think in Chicago, see, I think Chicago has better food than New York, but <laughs> New York has more of it. So you don't in Chicago, I think you just pick your favorite 10 restaurants and you kind of just you, you divvy them up. But in New York, you don't have to pick any favorite restaurant. You could just keep going to all the ones you haven't been to yet. So, um, you know, there are there are a lot of differences. I think that uh, being able to move around with with public transit, it's a little easier in New York. You can you can cast a wider net to go places than you can in Chicago. Um, but uh, you know the neighborhood feel of of the city of Chicago is is unmatched. You know New York doesn't really have anything like that. Uh, of course, you know the people I think are are easier to deal with in Chicago. Um, New York people have been very good to me though. There was never a time when I got to New York, especially early on, and, and there have been some others. Uh, of course, Sarah Kustak, you know, with the Nets and yes. uh, Rebecca Harlow, who would come from Chicago to New York uh, around the same time I did, maybe a little bit before me. 
Um, you know, so there'd been a few people who'd gone over and, and made that transition. And for me, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't ever any animus toward me about being uh, a Chicagoan or about not even being a New Yorker. I mean, for, for the most part, I was pretty widely accepted by the New York audience, which, which I was surprised. I was surprised to get the Mets job to begin with because I thought it would go to a, a New York uh, resident or native. So it was, uh, it was something that, you know, it was a big, big move for me and it's, it's worked out really well. You know, when I started with the Mets, I was the pregame and postgame show host and I filled in on play by play. You know, now I'm, I'm the main, one of the main play by play announcers for them. And I, and I fill in on TV as well. Um, so it's, it's something that's really turned into a, a great thing for me. And, um, I'm happy that it's, it's, it's happened this way and, and worked out so well. You know, you just scored points with Chicago restaurateurs. So I'm going to take the bold question to ask you this. Like I've asked many people, Chicago pizza versus New York pizza. Yeah. You know, for it, it doesn't really compare to me. I mean, st- they're totally different styles First, mm-hmm. yeah, in Chicago itself really has two different styles. I think the, the tavern style Chicago pizza is the best, uh, you know, shout out to, to Armand's or any other of the great <laughs> Chicago tavern style pizza places that are out there. And I do love a good deep dish every now and then, you know, New York has some good pizza places too. You know, I, I think when you grow up with one, it's, it's hard to choose the other as, uh, as you get older. So I'm sure, uh, you know, people that come from one city and go to the other would have a hard time switching teams uh, when it comes to that, but I, I do prefer Chicago pizza. And uh, you know, like I said, I, I just think overall, I think, I think the Italian food in Chicago is better. Mm. Uh, I think that there's, you know, there's different types of restaurants in New York. So you get a little bit of a different uh, symbol of, of what, what's out there in, in, uh, in food culture. You know, I do think if you want like Asian food or in, even Indian food to be more specific that New York has, has better options for that. But, um, you know, I, I do, uh, you can eat well, you, you certainly diets are not well taken. <laughs> no, no, they're not. Are they, <laughs> you were just mentioning, you do some of the TV work occasionally. So you're working with two legendary figures in New York in Howie Rose, who's your partner. And when you were talking about filling in for TV, the aforementioned Gary Cohn, both gentlemen who I've known uh, for a number of years, so I have to imagine they are very, very important in your professional growth. Yeah, you know, when I got there in 2000, I got there really because of Howie. I, I think that, you know, my tape stood out to him. And, and, and what I used to do, George, was I would go to Wrigley and sometimes Miller Park in Milwaukee. And I would, I would do a, a fake broadcast in one of the empty booths there, you know, being, being able to cover um, the, the Chicago teams, like I had had with the score, you know, you develop a little bit of a relationship with some of the teams. So the Cubs were great about letting me use an empty booth at Wrigley field and fake brought fake a broadcast so that I mm-hmm. had major league tape to send to major league teams. Cause I didn't like sending minor league tape to, to major league teams. I felt like you, you really got lost in the shuffle sending minor league tape. So to all of a sudden my tape comes from a Cubs game or a Brewers game. And um, that really stood out to, to some people and Howie was one of them because he used to do that when, when he was younger at Shea Stadium. So, um, you know, I think, I think Howie uh, liked that and, and wanted, you know, I kind of stood out at that point. And then Howie had a conversation with Pat Hughes, who was somebody who was kind of a mentor to me when I was uh, coming up and, and, you know, Pat gave him a good recommendation and I think that helped. And, 
And all of a sudden I'm in New York and, uh, you know, from the get go, Howie was, was, I think, looking for somebody that he could mentor. And I was, I needed someone like that. I feel like I was, uh, I was good enough to be there, but I, I didn't feel like I was good enough, uh, to be great yet. And, you know, I think that I, I, I put in a lot of time with Howie asking him questions and, and, and learning from him and, um, you know, I, I felt like at that time, you know, the, my highlights didn't sound like they should, didn't sound, you know, when you go, when you watch like quick pitch or whatever, you hear everybody's highlights and they all sound so boisterous. And I felt, felt like mine didn't at that time. And I uh, actually hired a voice coach and, and figured out there was a reason for that. And, you know, that, that kind of straightened me out there. But just watching Howie and Gary uh, work every day was was a learning experience in and of itself aside from the questions I would ask them you know just watching them go about their business they don't take days off when, when they're when they're there and they'll miss games here and there but when they're at the ballpark they are there 100 and they are putting in max effort at, you know decades into their careers they're both in their 60s and they've both been doing this for a long time and you 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 wouldn't you don't see two guys that are mailing it in, in in any way when when you're around them and watching them work they prep they prep hard gary preps insanely and murphy pops it up a mile high in the middle of the infield who's going to take it and it falls and the mets tie the game Gillespie was calling beckham came in the white Sox messing up on the mets miraculously have tied the game i just wanted to be more like them uh, and i think that you know watching how they operated uh was it was a super advanced like master's class that i got every day especially at the beginning and then when i when i transitioned to being howie's full-time partner you know it was like another one because all of a sudden i had i had more play-by-play -play questions and some things that stood out to me from sitting next to him and watching him work all the time uh, one in particular was when Pete Alonso broke Todd Huntley's franchise home run record in about August of 2019. It's a one strike pitch. It's it high in the air, right center field. Hamilton looks back. He's at the wall. He leaps. It's gone. Home run number 53. And Pete Alonso stands alone as Major League Baseball's rookie home run king. 53 home runs for Pete Alonzo, Major League rookie record. And what a moment in New York tonight. And I asked Howie after, after that broadcast, because I had called the home run. I said, you know, what did you think about the home run? And he listened back and he gave me some really good advice about how to, how to call a milestone home run the next time it happened, which, you know, who knows when that could have been. But fortunately, Pete just kept hitting home runs. So you know, it was only a few weeks later when Pete hit another milestone home run to break Aaron Judge's uh, all-time rookie home run record. And I got to call that one as well. And I, I used a lot of things that Howie had uh, mentioned before. And it was really a, a call that I'm, I'm very happy with and, and a call now that you hear all the time. The Mets actually um, mailed this season ticket uh, box because it was the, it's the 60th anniversary of the Mets and the, a video comes along with it of all the great moments in Mets history. And my call of Pete Alonso's 53rd home run to break the rookie record is on there. So um, I, I'm thrilled about that. And I, I think it, everything that I've learned over these last now seven years 
is could largely be attributed to Howie and Garrett. Great teachers, both of them. Let me share a story with you, Wayne, about Gary Cohen. I first came in contact with him when I started at Sports Phone in Chicago, for those people who remember Sports Phone, back in late 1977. And eventually, I made a trip to New York to visit some of the staff, and I stayed with Gary Cohen in his apartment, which was located right near Columbia University. Well, a few years later, I visited him again when he got his first job which was in Hanover, New Hampshire, his first professional radio job. And it was late October and it was really damn cold. <laughs> but I always remember this about Gary. He said his goal in life was to be the voice of the New York Mets. How did that work out? Yes, it worked out pretty nicely. And, uh, you know, Gary's been at it a long time now between radio and, and TV. So it's, uh, it's, it's pretty great to see um Gary succeed the way and Howie too you know Howie's Howie is a little bit older than Gary so he yeah. he remembers the Mets first season so the, and he was immediately a a crazy fan from the get-go so you know he's he's probably seen every game the Mets have ever played <laughs> that's <laughs> so a lot it, of games it is it, and it's uh, and he remembers a lot of them uh, boy he really remembers a lot of those games from the 60s and you know, he remembers that night Jimmy Qualls spoiled Seaver's perfect game. There's a drive, left center field. There goes the no-hitter. And Jimmy Qualls is on first base for the Cubs. So young Tom Seaver, as the crowd groans and moans his disappointment, has just seen Qualls get a base hit with one out of the ninth inning. He had retired 25 Cubs in a row. Oh, do I remember it as well? Yeah, we're now <laughs> we're talking about two sides of this coin now: the 1969 Mets and the 1969 <laughs> Cubs, who I, which I documented several years ago as the right. the great disaster on the North Side. Did you know General Motors 2021 Supplier of the Year is located in Hillside, Illinois? Dynamic Manufacturing not only remanufactures transmissions for the likes of GM, but also as a state-of-the-art facility. Its capabilities include engineering new or existing products, along with manufacturing, machining, logistics, and re-energizing used batteries for electric cars and energy storage systems. I've seen their operation firsthand, and their nearly 1 million square feet of operating space is extremely impressive. Dynamic was founded by the late, great John Partipillo in 1955 and is still family-owned and operated by the next generation. For more information about Dynamic Manufacturing, visit their website at dynamicmanufacturinginc.com. Dynamic Manufacturing. Honor the legacy. Pioneer the future. I, I am curious, are the Mets in New York like the White Sox are here? Of course, they play second fiddle to the Cubs. So are the Mets the Yankees' stepchild? Yeah, I, I think there's some of that. I think that the, I think when it comes to the fan bases, they – listen, you're never going to catch the Yankees in that regard. You know, it's different, I think, with the Cubs and White Sox because, uh, you know, they've both been around a long time. The White Sox are a charter franchise of the American League. They've, they've had about equal success. It's not like one team's been better than the other over the course of history. Um, but the Yankees won all those World Series. They had so many Hall of Famers. They, a lot of it happened before the Mets even existed. And so there's, you know, there is that, that rivalry, I think, between the fans and the Mets want to get one up on the Yankees. The difference is when the Mets are doing well, they take over the city. And uh, it's, it's something that I don't think happens with, with the White Sox as no. much when they're doing well. 
the Mets are always the, the headlines. The Mets are always on the back pages. If you put on sports radio, it's always talking about the Mets. When the Mets are in good shape, they dominate the media. And I, I think that's a huge difference between what, what happens in Chicago. Also, I think that the two, because the city is so large, I think the two teams really coexist better uh, than, than they do in Chicago. I think that there's a lot more coverage to go around. There's certainly a lot more fans to go around. So I think it, it keeps it a little bit more separated. Um, but I, I do think that the key difference is that the Mets, the Mets have a lot of fans in a way that they can dominate the media that the White Sox don't really are they're just, they're never really able to do. Several years before you found yourself in the Kane County press box, you did what a number of people before you did and still do. You went to the annual baseball winter meetings. You tried to sell yourself. So tell me a story I don't know about Opryland, Nashville, 2007. Yeah, pretty great. Pretty great time. Um, I'd never been in Nashville. I don't think I've been in Nashville since, really. Um, but it was uh, it was coming right out of college, basically. I graduated from college uh, in 2007. And I was working for the Illinois Radio Network doing morning sports, uh, anchoring and covering some games and stuff. I was, I was, I just turned 21 when they hired me. So it was a pretty good foot in the door after, um, interning at WGN, which was great and really, really set me on a, on a, a good path in the industry. Um, but I wanted to do baseball play by play. It's really all I, I wanted to be. So, um, that was my focus as soon as I got out of school. And I had a little bit of tape because I'd done some summer collegiate league out in DuPage County, uh, the DuPage Dragons, which exist in some form. They're not, it's not their name anymore, but you know, it was a little league with four teams and we went to Quincy, Illinois, and we went to Danville, Illinois, and we went to a, a place down in Southern Indiana where they actually filmed a league of their own uh, in Du Bois County, Indiana. Mm -hmm. And the, they actually kept the ballpark the way that it looked in the movie. Um, so there's all the signage from the, the league of their own. And from that era, they kept that all up and it says home of the Rockford peaches there. And it's, it's a pretty neat place to go, uh, which I never would have gone if it weren't for that little summer collegiate league. So that was the tape I had. And, um, you know, I had some good experience and was looking to break into minor league baseball. And what I think a lot of people may not know is that the winter meetings, aside from being a place where, uh, you know, a lot of trades happen and there's a job fair for minor league baseball. And minor league teams from all over the country come to that one place and they're not just looking for broadcasters. They're looking for everybody. They're looking for groundskeepers and ticket takers and ticket salespeople and, and whatever kind of salespeople they can find. Um, you know, they want to fill their front office with, you know, with younger kids that they don't really have to pay. You know, it's not just the players that aren't getting paid in the minor leagues. It's pretty much everybody. So it was, uh, you know, I was trying to just break in and, and get some experience calling baseball. And, you know, they kind of had it broken up into two ballrooms at the Opryland Resort. One was where all the teams were interviewing prospective uh, employees. And the other was where the employees were kind of just sitting there waiting to be called on. And I was like, you know, this is not, I'm not going to sit here. So I, um, I took my tapes and I went around the room where all the, <laughs> all the executives were. And I introduced myself to as many people as I could. And um, it, was, um, it was much better that way. I, I got many interviews right on the spot. You know, a lot of people that I introduced myself to just said, well, have a seat. We'll just do it now. 
uh, without even ever listening to me. You know, I, I never assumed this about you as being this bold, aggressive guy. You, you seem more low key, but that's exactly the way I'm getting this approach was, well, the heck with the way they do this. I, I'm going to go sell myself right then and there. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think um, in most settings, I, I am a little bit more low key and, and, and just kind of consistent and try to let things come as, as they are. But, you know, when it's something that I really well, want to make happen, I try to go and make it happen. So, um, you know, at that time, especially I, I needed a job for the 2008 baseball season and I was going to get one. So I ended up getting a few offers. One was in Hickory, North Carolina where the guy told me he was, he was leaving to become a, he's going to go to dental school. So he was, he was uh, getting out of broadcasting and going <laughs> to dental school. So he said, just give it a month and, and I'll be out of there. You could just take over as the lead broadcaster. So I said, great, that, that actually works out perfect. I don't even have to be a, a number two. I can yeah. be a number one in Hickory. And then uh, right as I was leaving, I got a call from the folks in Mobile, Alabama. And they said, you know, are you still around? Can we, can we talk to you? And I said, yeah, I'm actually in the parking lot right now. I'll come back in. So I went in, I talked to two of the guys from the, from the Mobile Bay Bears and they kind of had the same speech. They said, you know, we, we advertised for a number two announcer, but in reality, our number one announcer is probably leaving. And if he does, you know, would you be interested? I said, well, absolutely. That would be huge. I mean, it's double A. Yeah. Um, I, I would have skipped a ball and gone straight to double A where all the best prospects and, and minor league players really are. And, um, you know, after a few weeks, I ended up uh, getting the job in, in Mobile, going to work for Bill Shanahan down there. It was, it was quite a, a minor league character. And, um, you know, it was, a, it was a huge experience. I got to travel with the team and uh, be around, you know, professional baseball for the first time. And, um, and the, the league, was as advertised. There were a lot of great players just in that first year alone. Clayton Kershaw pitched against us, and David Price pitched against us, and uh, there were there were a bunch of good players in that league. Eventually, the Mobile team had Paul Goldschmidt, and uh, they had Gerardo Parra, and they had Trevor Bauer, and Patrick yeah. Corbin, and Wade Miley, and uh, it turned into an all-star team all of a sudden. And um, ended up having Adam Eaton was on that team in mobile. So it was, uh, it was really a good time and, and a great experience for me. I did four years there and, um, you know, I wouldn't have traded getting that experience in my, in my mid twenties, um, for anything in the world. It really helped shape, shape who I am as a, as a baseball announcer. Another fun White Sox connection was when I was doing games in double a, one of the guys on the team, one of the catchers, his mom was dating Tom Pachorek. So, uh, you know, Wimpy was, uh, would listen to the games a lot. And he, and one time he was at the game and he, he had somebody send me a note to the booth, uh, just saying how much he liked listening to me and how he thought I was going to be in the big leagues one day. And I, how encouraging is that? I still have that note. It was really, really nice. It was really cool. That's great. I'm going to get into George Randazzo in a couple of minutes. Let take this back a few years before that like when you were a kid growing up in St. Charles and you happened to be a diehard Cubs fan matter of fact you could say you were really a diehard Cubs fan are you still a Cubs fan (laughs) um yeah you know something that I thought I hit pretty well when I was at the score um 
because I, you know, the score was the flagship station of the White Sox at the time. And correct. Um, I didn't want to, I don't want to be associated as a Cubs fan broadcasting White Sox games or doing the pregame postgame show or whatever, even on the station, I didn't want there to be any known bias. So I hit it pretty well. And you could tell when listeners would sometimes Cubs fans would accuse me of being a Sox fan. Um, Oh, let me, let me, let me interrupt for just a second. There were definitive Sox fans and Cubs fans then, but I was the one guy who kept saying, I'm a fan of both teams. I tried to explain to people who didn't believe that, that I had a, I had a reasonably decent sized minority who actually agreed, but most people said, no, 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 no. You can't do that. You're either a Sox fan or you're a Cubs fan. I said, listen, I grew up with Jack Brickhouse who did the Cubs and the White Sox. And I was a kid that was more enamored of Jack Brickhouse. So I grew up, you know, with the Cubs and the, you know, the late sixties Cubs and grew up with the White Sox. And, you know, you'd stay up at night at night being six 30, when you're a kid watching the Yankees with Mantle and Maris and trash Nelson Howard and Whitey Ford. And so I was a fan of both teams. You know, I never hid that, even though I would be criticized for saying, oh, you can't do that. And I'm sure that's the case in New York. You're either a Yankees fan or a Mets fan. You can't be both. That's true. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I, I do agree with that about Chicago too, for the most part, that if you're a fan, you should probably pick a lane, but um, I understand, you know, Jack Brickhouse won, won the day for you. And that, that makes a lot of sense. But I think for me, I was, I liked that there were two teams. I, I liked that the White Sox were around so you could watch, you know, the American league and just see more baseball. I was such, I was so baseball obsessed that it didn't matter which, what games were on. I would watch the Mets games on, on the WOR Superstation, And I watched the Braves on TBS and uh, anytime there was a national game of the week or whatever, I would try to watch that too and all the playoffs. So I couldn't get enough baseball anyway. So it was great that there were two teams around. But I was definitely a Cubs fan. I, I loved Wrigley Field. You know, they played so many day games when I was a kid. Uh, they were easy for me to, to watch. And, you know, Harry Carey going crazy in the booth all the time was, was fun to a, a kid. There's a drive way back. It might be. The Cubs were more attractive to me. Also, this is how kids' brains work. I gave the White Sox a chance once. I remember I was probably four or five, <laughs> and we went to Comiskey, the old Comiskey, right mm-hmm. where it was still still standing, and they put mustard on the hot dogs at Old Comiskey Park before you even asked for mustard. It was just on there. Oh, you didn't like mustard either. I right? didn't like mustard as a kid. <laughs> and, well, this team is just—they just—they're killing me here with this mustard. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> what a reason not to like the white Sox. <laughs> uh you're right so i will say now i do like the white Sox organization i do like the people there that i've uh, been able to be around you know i did a i did a few games at the end of last season for mlb on fox and one of them was a white Sox game and it was it was great to talk to tony Larusa. and you know i i admire rick hahn um and the job he's done there and and you know, their, their broadcasts are great. You know, Jason does a great job. He's really brought out the best in Steve Stone, who, again, as a Cubs fan, as a kid, I feel like almost everything I learned about baseball I learned from Steve Stone. How about so that? It's great to see him still going and still feeling energized. And of course, Len and, and DJ on the radio are, are terrific. Um, you know, 
uh, one of the first autographs I ever got as a kid was from Cubs outfielder Darren Jackson. So there's there's a lot of crossover anyway, and it's it's hard it'd be hard for me now to feel any sort of uh, animosity toward the White Sox. I, I really don't feel any. I, I root for them and and want them to do well as I do for the Cubs. You know, I I, I was at a lot of those playoff games in 2016 and and was really uh, really thrilled that they won and. You know, I, I felt like it was it was more about the generations that had passed and all the memories of, of Cubs games and, and for them to finally win a World Series, you know, was a was a big deal to lost family members. I mean, my grandfather, you know, went to Lane Tech and and mm-hmm. and grew up a huge Cubs fan and um, watched the Cubs his whole life, loved Ron Sano and and passed away before they ever got to see them win a World Series. So I mean, you think about people like that when when they won when they won that one a handful of years ago. Want to hear more great guests on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know? It's easy. Just follow me on social media at George Offman. That's O-F-M-A-N. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And please follow or subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We return with Wayne Randazzo on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. You did the circuit here in Chicago early on. I mean, from WGN as an intern, then to the station there, to the Illinois radio network you mentioned, ESPN 1000, uh, the score radio, of course, WBBM as well. But it was pretty obvious, even though you were anchoring, that's not exactly what you wanted to do. But it was experienced just the same. First of all, interning at WGN was it meant the world to me, I, you know, again, as a Cubs fan, it was all the games were always on WGN and the radio station was always on WGN. So, you know, I, I knew Spike Odell and, and, you know, all those kinds of guys, Bob Collins at, at WGN, just from listening as a kid. So when I was trying to get into this field and, and learned about the internships in the area, uh, WGN was, was the only one on, on my radar really. And, 
Uh, Mike Farron, who, who now works for Sirius Radio and had been with Diamondbacks, he was in charge of hiring the interns. And I just bugged the hell out of Mike until he gave me a, a shot, you know, and it was tough to get in there because there was a lot of a lot of people who had connections and I didn't really have any. So uh, but Mike gave me an internship for the spring of, of 2005. I got to work with David Kaplan and, and Tom Waddle when they were doing their their evening show, Sports Central, right on uh, WGN, and came across Dave Ennett a little bit and Andy Mazur because he was Andy was doing the Cubs pregame show at the time, and um, <clears throat> you know it was just it was just a, an unbelievable experience. And then once the season started, you know I got to cut up the Cubs highlights and uh, you know help Mike with the postgame show, and um, so it was it was just a really thorough experience. You know they let me do a lot. I was there for like nine hours a day uh, every day in my school, you know, they knew how I, I was. And I went to North central in Naperville and they had a good broadcasting program, but they knew that I was very serious about being a broadcaster. And so they, they kind of worked with me to make sure I was able to fulfill all my internship hours and not, not mess with me about schoolwork too much. And <laughs> it was, um, you know, really kind of took over my life for the three months that I did it. And, um, you know, it was a, it was just a, a really great experience. And, and then during the off seasons, you know, I would try when I was in Alabama, I would come back to Chicago and just try to get some work in the area. You know, I did some high school football and, and basketball play by play. I worked with the guys at the region sports network in Northwest Indiana. I did some games for uh, the Comcast channel 100 folks who had the high school game of the week. So, you know, I did a lot like that. And then, I did end up in one off season working for ESPN 1000 doing updates, which was pretty fun. And, you know, I was just planning to do it for the, the off season and they did offer me a job once the off season ended to stay there. And I turned it down because I wanted to keep doing baseball. And I wasn't, I felt like I only done baseball for one season at that point. So I felt like it was not, I wasn't ready to just rest on that tape. Uh, and I needed to keep getting better. So I, I turned ESPN 1000 down for, for an anchor job, but I thought I'd be better served in Alabama uh, doing baseball. So I kept doing it uh, for a few more years and then kind of kept in touch with Mitch Rosen at the score. And, and I think somebody left. It was uh, Brian Peruk, I think, left to go to the mix, I think. And he, um, so Mitch needed somebody and they brought me in part-time and it was, uh, that was huge. It was, and I didn't even realize how huge it was until once I got there and people started like knowing who I was and, and people still know if I, if I, if my name leaks out to somebody um, in Chicago and they happen to be a score listener, they're like, Hey, you're Wayne Randazzo from the score still. I haven't been on the station in 13 years. And even last night at Twitter, I got criticized for being on the score 13 years ago. So <laughs> let me tell you something. It, it, what comes around goes around if you were there. I'm just thinking about all the people who have made a difference for you from Jeff Joniak and Dave Ennett to guys like Joe Davis yeah. and Adam Amin, of course, who works for the yeah. Chicago Bulls. Yeah, you know, Joniak and, and Ennett are so are like well-respected deans, you know, in Chicago sports broadcasting. And, um, you know, they both had a, a lot of say early on in, in my career and both had um, – a lot of advice and again guys that I really just like learning from and and listening to and and really uh, stood out as being guys to to emulate um, Dave 
continues to be someone if I ever broadcast a Northwestern game I'm happy to see him and happy to see Jeff you know I'll do an occasional NFL game and and you know uh, sometimes it's the Bears and um, it's it's great to see those guys again and you know I, I can't say enough good things about both Joniak and and it and and Mitch Rosen too you know Mitch really gave me a, a big chance at the score to to give me uh, some airtime and and to just do updates at first then he started letting me host some shows and you know, eventually I hosted a lot of those 10 to midnight shows after Lawrence Holmes on, on the evenings. And uh, it was great. I didn't want to be a talk show host, but it was such good experience for me to be to be one and to have my opinions out there a little bit more. You know, I kind of prided myself on the interviews and then I hosted some of the baseball shows with, with Bruce um, on those yeah. Saturday morning shows that he has, which, which was awesome. And I love Bruce. He's such a great guy. And, uh, and I, I got to work at BBM a little bit, too, and, and for Ron Gleason and, and be around all, all of you guys there. And, you know, I, I, I like that because my grandmother listened to BBM and she wouldn't listen to the score. So it was, <laughs> uh, it was great to be on a station that my grandmother could listen to. It's been a great ride. And, and you mentioned Joe and Adam. Adam Amin is uh, one of my best friends. So is Joe Davis. Uh, you know, when, when I mentioned those games that I would do at Wrigley and in Milwaukee for a fake broadcast, well, some of those I did with Joe. We did some of those games together because Joe was in the same league as I was in Montgomery. I was in Mobile, Alabama. He was in Montgomery. And, um, you know, I'm so happy for both of those guys because we came up together, really, and went through a lot of the same things together. I think that having those guys push you uh, to try to do more and be more and, and not, not just stay where you are and uh, always think about, you know, keeping that ambition up. Um, you know, I'm, I'm fine with them beating me, but I don't want them to beat me by that much. So I'm gonna, <laughs> I, want, I want to stay at least kind of somewhat close to them. And I think it's so cool that the three of us have jobs with teams in the three biggest markets in the country. I'm in New York and Joe's in LA and, and Adam's with the Bulls and I think that is absolutely perfect for how we we came up together and really could have ended up anywhere doing anything. And I think we all got pretty lucky. Vienna beef, two words synonymous with hot dogs. They're the home of the Chicago hot dog and an institution since 1893. If you've had a hot dog, chances are it was from Vienna. And did you know there are more locations selling Vienna in Chicago than McDonald's, Burger King and Wendy's combined? There's nothing like biting into a juicy and delicious pure beef Vienna hot dog. Drag through the garden, which includes yellow mustard, onions, relish, tomatoes, sport peppers, pickles, and some celery salt. And oh, those Polish sausages dripping with flavor. And look for the spicy smoked sausage available in your local retail stores. It includes a perfect blend of seasonings such as crushed red peppers and brown sugar, creating a bold and zesty taste. Vienna products are available in restaurants, grocery stores, and entertainment venues such as the ballparks, cups, and socks, stadiums, museums, and zoos. Plus, you can purchase them online, coast to coast at ViennaBeef.com and on Amazon. And remember, Vienna is not just hot dogs and sausages. Look for their farm makers' chili, mini bagel dogs, condiments, and classic deli meats. Take it from a guy who was weaned on, then sold Vienna products. It's the mark of excellence since 1893. Check them out at ViennaBeef.com. You did several years of the Kane County Cougars. What was that experience like, and how did that get you to be the full-time broadcaster with the Mets? Yeah, it was fun. You know, the 
the score was part-time job. Um, baseball was just so important to me that I couldn't let it go. So I could have rested on the score and maybe picked up some other work and been fine. But Kane County's play-by-play job opened like right as I got to the score, like a month later. So their announcer, Jeff Hamm, had gone to Nashville. He's still in Nashville. He still does AAA there. And I hope he gets a big league chance because he's, he's plenty good enough to get one. But anyway, Kane County opened, and I'd been on the score for like a month or two. And, you know, it really helped me. <laughs> Even though it was, it was I just started, it really helped me establish myself quickly in the market. So uh, when the Kane County job opened, here I was with all this minor league experience from Alabama. And also I was on the score. So it was kind of a, a, a win-win for Kane County and for me. I could keep doing baseball. And their new announcer is someone they could market a little bit as, as being the, a voice on 670 the scores. So it was a good fit. You know, it was tough to juggle doing Kane County games and working at the score because, you know, I, I had to be in two different places at once a lot of the time. It seems like you made that part work. Earlier, you mentioned the name of George Randazzo, and if people don't know who he was, uh, he founded the National Italian American Hall of Fame, um, and he was a very important figure uh, nationally, but he was a very important figure for your career. Yes, George was was pretty influential early on for me, um, just to get me to meet people. You know, I met Jerry Colangelo through George, and um, that helped get me an internship with the Diamondbacks when I was a, a freshman in college. Um, you know, I, I, I mentioned the Roland Heeman connection earlier through George. And, you know, he was, you know, I, I met Joe Castiglione, the Red Sox announcer, and just a bunch of different people um, through George. And it was great. That was good, good for my career. Um, you know, more than anything, it was just fun to, to be around the Italian American Sports Hall of Fame because George Oates had so many good stories about the old days about guys like Joe DiMaggio and, um, you know, how he obtained Rocky Marciano's championship belt for the Hall of Fame. And just as a sports fan, it was it was just cool to meet some of these people. I met Yogi Berra. I met Sugar Ray Leonard. I met Muhammad Ali. <laughs> I met, yeah, I met DiMaggio. I, I met all these people, you know, Franco Harris, people that I never would have met otherwise. And it was, uh, it was really great. You know, my cousin George had a son, Tony, who's now a major league umpire and George was close with Jack Brickhouse. And I remember Tony got married in like 1995 and I couldn't go. And I was, I wanted to go to the wedding, but I had something else going on. So I was a bit bummed out. So my dad went and Jack Brickhouse was there and my dad talked to Jack, told him who he was and how he was related to George. And they called, they called me when I was at home and I got to talk on the phone to Jack Brickhouse when I was 11 years old. Um, it was <laughs> pretty, pretty cool. Uh, so just stuff like that, that, that never would have happened if it weren't for George. And, um, you know, I, I did some work for the Hall of Fame and, you know, the, I answered phones for them a little bit and did whatever else. I, I was the editor for their magazine and, um, you know, it was just a really great experience. I, I still emcee the, the dinners when they have the inductions. Well, it is time to begin our evening and our induction ceremony for the class of 2013. You know, it's, it's great that George had that vision and, and passion for the 
the National Italian American Sports Hall of Fame and, and made it into what it, it turned out to be, which was such a great little visitation area in the community and in Little Italy there. And I hope that the Hall of Fame is still able to uh, have a, a good run without George after he passed away a few years ago. You mentioned uh, your cousin, Tony, of course, who is a major league umpire. So what happens if he's calling balls and strikes and you're calling the game? Is there ever one, an issue? Yeah, there should be. He shouldn't, he shouldn't be allowed. Like, uh, <laughs> uh, he actually called a no hitter um, behind the plate against the Mets in, uh, in 2015, Max Scherzer threw a no hitter against the Mets and, and Tony was the home plate umpire. Broken bat pop up on the infield. Max Scherzer has done it again. He has thrown two no hitters against two playoff teams, the Pirates and now the Mets. There was another one too where DeGrom, it was I think in 2018, DeGrom was off to a great start, you know, won the Cy Young that year. And he had not given up a, a run in a while or his ERA was super low. And, you know, Mets fans wanted him to keep it that way. And there was a bad call that Tony made. And then DeGrom gave up a double, which knocked in a couple of runs and spiked his ERA a little bit. And a lot of Mets fans were like tweeting at me, like, uh, like said, what, <laughs> what is wrong with your cousin? Like, why did you do that to Jake? Uh, so it comes up every now and then. Let's go to the present day. Let's see what transpires. There's eventually going to be a pitch clock, Wayne, and maybe the abolishment of the shift and the addition of robot umpires. What are your thoughts on those? Well, I think the pitch clock is the biggest thing that they could do to advance uh, the pace of play. I, I'm, I'm for the pitch clock. I think it will help. I think that one of the biggest issues with pace of play is the pitchers taking too long in between pitches and, uh, and the batter's stepping out all the time. And, uh, there's not enough of people trying to keep the game moving along. And I think that a pitch clock will help that. And, and if the umpires enforce it for both the pitchers and the batters, I think the robot umpire system or the automated ball strike system, as they call it, I would prefer the old way with the umpires making sure they have the autonomy to call balls and strikes. They're graded anyway. I don't think too many calls are missed to the point where it affects games. I think batters, are going to have an issue with it themselves because if a catcher is setting up low and away and a pitcher misses his spot completely and, and nicks the inside corner at the top of the zone, that's going to be called a strike. And it's, it's the, that's going to upset the hitters. I mean, it's not going to be a perfect system for them either. So we'll see. I think it adds, you know, there was an element they talked about adding this year in the minor leagues where a manager can challenge because you'll still have the umpire there behind home plate. So you'll, a manager can challenge a ball or a strike if he doesn't think the automated system got it right. That's kind of a opening up a can of worms. And that I would think so. The game, the game down too. So I don't really like that. And I, I don't think that the, the shift ban is necessary unless you're a left-handed hitter. Um, I don't, I don't think it's necessary. I think, you know, the fact that, you know, those, those ground balls have turned into outs. Well, so what? I, I mean, if, if you can't make the adjustments, then it's, that's kind of your problem. And I know it affects left-handed batters more than right-handed batters. Uh, but still, I, I think that, you know, it's something that you just kind of have to deal with. And they've been shifting, you know, Ted Williams got shifted. It's not like this is a new thing. It's just no. happening more often. And uh, I, I would like to keep it that way, the way that it is too. But 
Uh, pitch clock, I'm, I'm definitely in favor of, and I hope they have it as soon as possible. So here you are in your mid-30s. You're busy all year long with other play-by-play assignments. But can you envision being the voice of the Mets from here on out? Or do you dream of coming back and maybe eventually being the Cubs play-by-play announcer? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm very happy where where I am with the Mets. And, and I, I, I love the organization. Everybody's been great to me always. You know, it's, I've never had a, a moment where I was like, you know, this, this organization's not for me. Um, you know, it's, it's always been a, a top-notch organization to work for. You know, I've, I've been fortunate to land with a team and land with people that I work with that I really enjoy being around. Um, but yes, yeah, Chicago's Chicago's home. And, you know, mo- my family pretty much is all still in Chicago. And it really touched me last year to do some of those Fox games. And they were all Cubs or White Sox games. And my family got to watch and, you know, they were able to see me work really for the, for the first time in a long time. Um, in a way that was really special. I mean, broadcasting the Cubs or broadcasting the White Sox was was incredible. Um, you know, those teams have great announcers now. Uh, broadcast teams really all throughout Chicago are, are, are fantastic at the moment. And uh, yeah, I mean, if something opened down the road, I think I would be interested in, in a position like that in Chicago. But um, if that never happens, then, you know, I think I'm, I'm very happy with the New York Mets for the rest of my career beyond, you know, the, the dreams I had growing up was just to be a baseball announcer and hopefully get to the big league. So to do it in New York and to do it for the Mets and to have the opportunities and career I've had so far, I'm, I'm very fortunate that it's worked out in this way. I asked this final question to all my guests, if not for sports broadcasting, what would you have been? Uh, well, something a lot more boring, probably, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I, I think, uh, I don't know, probably would have been like a lawyer or something like that, something terrible. Uh, <laughs> um, Boring uh, and terrible like a lawyer. Yeah, probably something along those lines, I would I would imagine. I don't, I don't really know. I was I had such a one-track mind. I remember my dad saying, you know, do you have a backup plan? I said, no, there's no backup plan. This is it. And uh, I haven't needed a backup plan yet, so that's good. Hopefully I won't have to. Well, all the best to you, Wayne. And you never know if... There's a trade in the Big Apple for the Windy City. Thank you, Wayne Randazzo, for telling me a story I don't know. All right. Thanks for having me, George. My thanks to WCBS Radio, WGN-TV, Sportsnet New York, the National Italian American Sports Hall of Fame, and Major League Baseball for those wonderful highlights. My thanks, as always, to T.J. Reeves for being a guiding force behind this podcast, Will Hatzel for his expert editing and mixing, and Nick Tochi for our excellent graphics. And to our wonderful sponsors, Dynamic Manufacturing and Vienna B for their generous support. Tune in next week for another episode of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. I'm George Hoffman, and that's all she wrote. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.